0: Friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6? Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through to 25, but uh, if you read with me verses uh, 20 to 25, we read these words When your son asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Last week we baptised Eden and Ed Ewan into the life of our congregation. And we noted the way in which the New Testament presents us with the care and the high regard that the Lord has for children. But the Old Testament also presents us with the Lord's care and high regard for children. And that is clearly presented in Deuteronomy six, where we see this emphasis on children and children being given careful instruction concerning the Lord and the importance of living for Him. Uh, Four years ago I preached on Deuteronomy chapter six verses four to nine at a baptism service. I won't ask you, do you remember that sermon? But today we're going to be focusing not on verses 4 to 9 that are the more well-known verses of this chapter, but on verses 10 to 25 as we baptize Amelia into the life of our congregation. And we're going to consider it under two headings, the dangers and the duties, the dangers and the duties. So first we have the dangers. Look at verses 10 through to 19. Here Moses highlights the dangers facing the Lord's people. Before going any further, let's situate ourselves in the chapter. Deuteronomy is really made up of three speeches that Moses gave toward the end of his life as he prepared to die and as the people prepared to enter the land of Canaan. And the fundamental message of these three speeches is that Israel are to remember the Lord and to remember his grace toward him, and they are to live their lives, regulate their lives around his laws. And in Deuteronomy 6 to 11, Moses expounds and he expands the very first commandment the Lord ever gave to his people. You shall have no other gods before me. That's clearly brought out in Deuteronomy 6 verses 1 to 9 where Moses reminds the people that the Lord is their God and he is the only God and they are to love him with all their minds, with all their hearts and with all their souls. That is the high and the holy calling of the Lord's people. And having said this, Moses now warns them about the ways in which they could be distracted from loving the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul and with all their mind. In verses 10 to 16, Moses outlines three particular dangers that the people should be aware of. Moses begins by speaking about the danger of forgetting the Lord because of prosperity. Look at verses 10 to 12. Moses speaks about the Lord bringing the people into the land that he had promised to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Their entrance into this land is a testimony of the Lord's faithfulness to them. Their entrance into this land... Is proof of the Lord's tenacity in keeping his promises. And Moses speaks about the richness of this land. The people are going to take possession of great and good cities that they didn't build. They will take possession of houses filled with good things that they didn't fill. They will take possession of cisterns that they didn't dig. And they will take possession of vineyards and olive trees that they didn't plant. And as a result, the people will find themselves. Fool! But here's the danger. They will find themselves full, but there is a danger that they may also find themselves forgetful, forgetting and losing sight of the Lord in all their prosperity and all their affluence. And so Moses says to them, take care, be on your guard so that you don't forget the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Moses goes on to speak about the danger of abandoning the Lord because of the surrounding idolatry. Look at verses 13 to 15. Moses calls on the people to fear the Lord. Now that doesn't mean a cowering, cringing fear. It means reverence. It means devotion. And he calls on the people to serve the Lord. They have been taken out of the house of slavery in order that they might serve the Lord and walk in his ways. And he calls on them to swear by the Lord. They are to give the Lord their oath of allegiance. They are to commit their lives to him. And they must do this, Moses says, because there is a great danger that they might go after the gods of the surrounding nations the gods of their Canaanite neighbours, the gods of the countries round about them. And Moses warns him about what will happen if they go after these gods. He reminds him that the Lord is a jealous God. He, he doesn't tolerate his people dividing their attention and affection between him and something or someone else. And he goes on to tell them that the Lord's jealous anger will be kindled. It will flare up and burn against them. And he tells him that the Lord will destroy them from the face of the earth. That is how seriously the Lord takes his relationship with his people. That is how seriously the Lord takes the worship of his people. Moses is making it clear that it's no small thing, it is no trivial thing to go after another God and abandon the Lord in the process. And finally Moses speaks about the danger of doubting the Lord Because of hardship. Look at verse 16. He tells the people not to put the Lord to the test. That word test means to get someone to prove themselves. And Moses draws the people's attention back to the events at Massa that we read about in Exodus 17. In Exodus 17, the Lord brings the people into this place where there's no water. And the people mutter. They mumble. They grumble among themselves. And they say... Is the Lord among us or not? They, they're doubting the Lord. They're doubting the Lord. They want him to prove his care, prove his commitment to them. They're beginning to say this hardship is proof that God isn't really there for us. And so now at the end of his life, Moses is urging the people not to allow difficulties and hardships in the future to cause them to doubt the Lord And having outlined these three dangers, Moses now makes a far more positive statement. Look at verses 17 to 19. He begins by telling the people what they should do. They should diligently keep the commands of the Lord. Literally keeping, they should keep the commands of the Lord. And their lives should be characterized by doing what is right and good as they keep the Lord's commands. And Moses tells the people what will happen if they do this. He says that it will go well with them. And he tells them that they will take possession of the land. The implication is if they don't do these things, if they abandon the Lord, if they abandon his commands, they will be thrust out of the land just as the Lord thrust the previous inhabitants out of the land. So in short, Moses is telling the people there will be blessing if they serve the Lord wholeheartedly. There will be blessing If they give the Lord first place, but they will miss out on the blessing if they abandon the Lord. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being warned about the danger that every Christian faces the danger of not giving the Lord first place in our lives. That's what Moses is saying to the people of his day. He's saying, Don't let prosperity Distract or detach you from the Lord. And he goes on and he says, don't let other gods distract or detach you from the Lord. And he goes further and he says, and don't let hardship or difficulty distract or detach you from the Lord. And what was true in Moses' day is also true in our day. It can be all too easy To lose sight of the Lord when we enjoy a season of success or prosperity, and when our concern is more about cake and steak than our daily bread. Sometimes we can be so well off that we lose sight of the Lord. But it can also be all too easy to lose sight of the Lord when we find ourselves surrounded by others who have different gods, maybe the God of sport. The God of money, the God of work, the God of possessions, the God even of family. And it can also be all too easy to lose sight of the Lord when we find ourselves going through a hard or difficult season. Whether that be a personal frowning providence or whether that be a worldwide pandemic. I wonder how many of us maybe found ourselves distracted or detracted from the Lord over the last 18 months. There are so many things that can cause us and lure us away from the Lord in our lives. That's what Moses is saying. He's saying material possessions can lure you away from the Lord. He's saying other gods, other influences can lure you away from the Lord. And he's saying hardships and difficulties Can lure you away from the Lord. And so I want to ask a question this morning. And it's not a question for just Kenneth only. So don't think I'm picking on Kenneth. It is a question for everyone here. Is the Lord, is Jesus first in your life? Is the Lord, is Jesus first in your life? And is your life giving evidence of this? Are you keeping his commands? Are you following his rules because he is first in your life? Or is it possible that something or someone has begun to draw you away from him? Begun to draw you away from the one who ought to be your first love? I remember hearing someone speaking about... The financial issues going on in a particular denomination. And he said that they were struggling financially as a denomination. And he said the ultimate reason they were struggling financially was because people had lost their first love. Why do people not give financially? Why do people not reach out to those within their community with the good news of Jesus? Why do people think that maybe going to other events takes priority but worshipping the Lord on a Sunday isn't the main thing it's so often because we have been lured away from our first love so I hope friends I will never be haranguing you about how to be living your lives but just that I would be encouraging you that the Lord would be first in your life and when he is first in your life everything else follows on So there's the dangers. But then we move on to the duties. Look at verses 20 to 25. And Moses now highlights the duties required from the Lord's people. In verse 20, we hear the question that Moses anticipates. Back in verses 6 and 7, Moses had encouraged the parents to be encouraging their children to love the Lord with all their minds, with all their hearts, with all their souls. And he had said to them, you are to teach your children about this in the home and outside the home, as you get up and as you lie down. And now Moses returns to this theme of parents and their children. And he anticipates a child looking at their parents, putting the Lord first in their lives, putting the Lord first in the home, first in the workplace, First in the church, he anticipates a child watching their parent doing their utmost to live according to the Lord's word, the Lord's laws, the Lord's commands, allowing their lives to be directed and controlled by the Lord alone, and he anticipates the child asking, look at verse 20, why? Why is it? What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Why are you doing this? Why are you living this way? These children are seeing their parents saying, The Lord is first. The Lord is foremost. And the children are looking on and they're like, Why are you doing that? And Moses uses that as a launch pad for what he wants to say next. And so we move from the question that Moses anticipates to the answer that Moses provides in verses 21 to 25. Moses begins by telling the parents that they were to speak to their children about what the Lord had done for them. Look at verses 21 to 23. They were to tell their children that they had been slaves in Egypt. And they were to tell their children that the Lord had brought them up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And they were to tell their children that the Lord had shown signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Pharaoh and against his household and against all Egypt before their eyes. And they were to tell their children that the Lord had brought them from Egypt into the land that he had promised to give them. Isn't that interesting? Do you see the significance of what Moses is saying? The children are asking their parents, why are you living the way that you do? Why are you keeping all these laws and commands? And the parents aren't to say, well, it's what we've always done. Neither are they to say, well, it's what our parents did before us. Neither are they to say, well, it's what Moses and the elders are telling us we must do. Instead, they're to say, we live this way because the Lord brought us up out of Egypt. The Lord saved us. The Lord delivered us. The Lord redeemed us. These parents are to answer the questions of their children by directing them to the good news of the Lord and his salvation. And Moses continues by telling these parents that they're also to speak to their children about what the Lord now requires from them. Look at verses 24 and 25. The sovereign saving God has commanded them to do all his statutes. The sovereign saving God has commanded them to fear him. And the sovereign saving God has commanded them to keep all his commands. And if they do this, the Lord will preserve them. They will live And furthermore, if they do this, the Lord will regard them as being righteous, good and faithful servants. Once again, there's this emphasis on receiving the Lord's blessing as a result of walking in his ways, obeying his commands. Now friends, as we consider these verses, we can see two key duties that the Lord requires from Christian parents. And this isn't simply for Kenneth again, this is for every parent here today. Two key duties that the Lord requires from parents. Number one, the Lord expects Christian parents to provide an example and an environment where their children will be prompted and stimulated to ask questions. That's what Moses is saying to the parents of his day. He assumes that their children will see a clear difference between how they're living their lives and how those around about them are living their lives. He assumes that these children will see a clear difference between how their parents are bringing them up and how the parents of their contemporaries are bringing them up. And he assumes that such an example, such an environment, will leave these children with questions about what their parents are doing and why their parents are doing this. And that carries the same application today. Christian parents are to provide an example and an environment that will prompt and encourage and stimulate their children to ask questions. Doug Kelly has written, A godly home should automatically raise questions in a child's mind. Why do we not go to the shops on Sunday? Why do we not participate in sports events on Sunday? Why do we go out to church twice on Sunday? And so today I want to encourage Kenneth and Anne Marie, who's next door, and every parent here to do all that you can to provide an example and an environment where your children will be prompted and stimulated to ask questions. Questions about what you believe. Questions about how and why you behave the way that you do. Questions about whom you belong to and where you actually belong. Do you belong to the Lord or do you belong to someone else? Do you belong to the High Free Church or do you belong to some other place in the community? Second, the Lord expects Christian parents to declare his gospel, to speak about his salvation to Their children. And that's what Moses is saying to the parents of his day. When their children come with these questions, their parents are to be ready and willing to speak to their children. And before they speak about what the Lord requires from their, his people, they're to speak about what the Lord has done for his people. How he has saved them, how he has delivered them, how he has redeemed them. And now he has the right to command them to live for him in both their living and in their dying. And that carries the same application today. When a Christian parent is asked by their child about why their home is different, why their lives are different, why Jesus is at the very centre, they should have an answer for their child. And that answer should involve taking their child, not back to Hugh Ferrier and the High Free Kirk session, but all the way back to the Gospel. The Gospel that says that they were slaves in sin. The Gospel, it says, that the Lord delivered them with a mighty hand. The Gospel, it says, that the Lord saved them, delivered them, redeemed them, not with silver or gold, but with his own precious blood. And this same Lord now has the right to command them to live for him, to put him first in their living and in their dying. And so today I want to encourage Kenneth and Anne-Marie and every parent here To speak to your children about the Lord. To speak to your children about who the Lord is and what the Lord has done. Your brothers and sisters in this congregation are here to help you. That's why you're in this congregation, Kenneth. Remember that? Remember that, every parent. You're in this congregation because you're saying, I can't live the Christian life on my own. I need others to help me. And your Christian brothers and sisters in this congregation will help you. We will do all we can to encourage you. We have a toddler group for your children. We have a Sunday school for your children. We have a youth fellowship for your children. We will do all that we can to encourage you and to encourage your children to put the Lord, to put Jesus first. But you, Kenneth, and every parent in this congregation, you have the privilege, you have the responsibility, you have the duty of telling your children about Jesus, telling them about the Lord, telling them about salvation. You know yourselves that they're going to hear so much from week to week in the school. And one hour of hearing me on a Sunday or their Sunday school teacher on a Sunday isn't going to cut it. They need you to be speaking to them. You have the duty to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love for you. You know, in his biography of the missionary John Payton, John Piper draws attention to the devotional life of Peyton's father and the impression that his father made on his own life. And he quotes some words that John Payton wrote about his father. He said, Though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of memory, were blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to these early scenes and shut itself up once again in my father's prayer closet. And hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubt with the victorious appeal My father walked with God. Why may not I... How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain. Nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus and for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of the living Saviour and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. Can I just challenge every father in this congregation? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing if your children maybe didn't agree with everything that you did? But one thing they couldn't deny. They couldn't deny that you were a man of prayer. And that you poured out your heart to the Lord. And that the Lord was a dear friend to you. Wouldn't that be a thing? That your children wouldn't be saying, my dad dragged me to church on Sunday. My dad harangued me to be in church. But rather, my father had flaws, yes. But he loved the Lord. And he was a man of prayer. And those of you who are mothers, maybe you can seek to do the same, that you would be a woman of prayer. Well, as we close, I want to ask every parent who's here today, are you providing an example and an encouragement and an environment where your children will be stimulated and prompted to ask questions? Are you providing that environment, that example? And are you answering these questions by taking them back to the Gospel, pointing them back to Jesus? And will we as a whole congregation pray for these parents as they undertake this very solemn, this very noble duty? We all have that responsibility. When these children are baptised into our congregation, we are saying as a congregation, we are going to pray for these children. And we are going to pray for their parents. And we are going to pray that their parents would provide an environment, an example, For their children. And we're going to pray that their children would take them back again and again to Jesus. Let's pray that for the parents of this congregation.